0: Lord of God, a count, a privilege, and honor. On the way here, we were driving in the van. Saw a couple geese. It reminded me of a story. I was preaching in a, uh, at a camp in New Jersey, and I don't know if you know this or not, but there are some rednecks in New Jersey, and I found them. They were at this camp, and so I was out there, and a bunch of the men of the church were there. We were at, at this lake, and there's a bunch of geese that were flying around, swimming around. The geese didn't like us being there, so the geese started hissing at the men. And the pastor that was there looked at the men and said, "All right, boys, get them." And those guys chased those geese, grabbed them, ripped their necks, I mean, wrung their necks, killed them, feathered them, and we had them for dinner. And I, I said to the pastor, I said, uh, you, "Like, is it season? Are they in season now? Do you have a permit, or you know, for to kill these geese?" He said, "No." He says, "I, I reckon uh, if a game warden came by, we'd just tell him that it was uh, self-defense." And. <laughs> You might be a redneck. Oh, what are we having for lunch? We're not having geese, are we? I'm having goose. All right, we're we're good. Baptist chicken. chicken. All right. my my microphone okay? We good? It's. It, they told me this was flesh color, but I don't think so. <laughs> I'm I'm mocha. Mocha. Right. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I do count it a privilege and honor to, to be here with you this morning, and I am humbled at these, this opportunity. And uh, since uh, Pastor Hall called me and asked me if I'd preach quite a few uh, months ago, I was praying, Lord, what would you have us to, to do? What would you have us to look at in Scripture? Um, and so I believe this is where the Lord would have us to be. If you open your Bibles with me the book of John, John chapter number 19. John chapter number 19. And we're going to start reading in verse number 1 of John chapter number 19. When you find it, would you stand with me as we read John chapter number 19? And again, we'll start reading in verse number 1. The Bible says in John 19 1 Then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers plated a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they put on him a purple robe and said, Hail, King of the Jews. They smote him with their hands. Pilate therefore went forth again and saith unto them, Behold, I bring him to you that you may know that I find no fault in him. Then came Jesus forth wearing the crown of thorns and a purple robe, and Pilate saith unto them, behold the man. And the chief priests therefore and officers saw him, they cried out, saying, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, take ye him and crucify him for I find no fault in him. The Jews answered him, we have a law and by our law he ought to die because he made himself the son of God. But Pilate, therefore heard that that saying he was the more afraid, and went again to the judgment hall, and saith unto Jesus, Whence art thou? But Jesus gave him no answer. Then saith Pilate unto him, Speakest thou not unto me? Knowest thou not that I, that I have power to crucify thee, and have power to release thee? Jesus answered, Thou couldst have no power at all against me, except it were given thee from above. Therefore he that delivered me unto, thy, unto thee hath the greater sin. And from thenceforth Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, saying, If thou... Uh, let this man go. Thou art not Caesar's friend. Whosoever maketh himself a king speaketh against Caesar. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus forth and sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement from the Hebrew Gabbatha. And it, verse number 14, and it was the preparation of the Passover about the sixth hour. They saith unto the Jews, behold your king. They cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. Then delivered he him therefore unto them to be crucified. They took Jesus and led him away. And he, bearing his cross, went forth into a place called the place of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him and two other with him on either side, one, and Jesus in the midst. Let's pray. Father, it's a great thing to be able to gather as a group of men here on this Saturday morning to be able to sing your praises, to fellowship to come before your throne in prayer, and Lord, especially to open up this wonderful book, the Word of God. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity. I pray, Lord, that the Holy Spirit would have free reign in our hearts and lives. I do pray if someone here today does not know Christ as their Savior, they'd realize their desperate need to be born again without Jesus Christ, that they'd realize they'd spend eternity in the lake of fire. Lord, for those of us that are saved, help us, Lord, to walk and live as men, as godly men, men that love you, men that are submitted to your will, and that will do your service until that trumpet blows, or until the day that we die. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks so much. You may be seated. <clears throat> there are so many things running through my mind. Uh, lately, if you look around and see the state of our world, and the state of our country, uh, it's absolutely amazing the things that are going on. And I look around and I go, well, what is really the problem? Now, I know that there's certain things that would... That uh, would be laid at your feet, and there are certain people that believe that men are the problem. That the that manliness is the problem. It's been referred to oftentimes already here this morning about toxic toxic masculinity. I'm going to tell you that men aren't the problem. Men are the answer. And I have no idea as you look at churches today, and I have the opportunity many times to travel to different churches and see different ministries and look around and talk to other pastors and other men and ministry. And we talk and we, we talk about the fact that in most of our churches, the problem in our churches is that we don't have a whole lot of men in our churches that are fully engaged. To get them to come to church is is a monumental thing, but generally speaking, most men come to church and they sit during a service and go home and but they're not really engaged in the in the fight. They're not engaged in the work, they're not engaged in the ministry. Many times there are men that aren't even engaged with their own families. And I begin to think, well, what, what has to happen? I don't, I don't watch a lot of news because I already have high blood pressure. <laughs> and you start to think about all the things that are happening with the news and you think, uh, surely this is going to stir people up. I mean, I mean, I don't know if any of you went out and bought a different type of razor blade. But you you think, well, well, that's not right. You watch what uh, New York, uh, the state of New York has just done, murdering babies. That, does that not stir you up? We look around and think about the, the attack on the Second Amendment. Is that okay to say here? The attack on the Second Amendment, talking about what a, what a marriage is. And, and God has declared that a marriage is, is between a man and a woman. And you go, what what is going on here? And there's certain things that that begin to, to make you wonder what's going on. But I'm here to tell you that we should not be stirred up because of what's going on in politics. We should not be stirred up about the laws that they're passing. There's something more that should make a man be engaged. There's something more that should make a man say, you know what? God has put me here for a specific purpose. I have no time to be apathetic. I have no time to be disengaged. I need to be stirred up. To serve my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Now I was reading in Second Peter chapter number 1, verse 13. Peter says, Yea, I think it meet. it's good, it's appropriate, as long as I am in this tabernacle, this body, to stir you up by putting you in remembrance. Peter says, You know what? I, I believe that we need to stir men up by putting them in remembrance. Second Peter chapter 3, verse number 1. This second epistle, beloved, now I write unto you and both which I stir you up or stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. The word stir means to arouse from sleep or inactivity, to excite, to move, to activity, to wake up. And I believe that we as men need to be stirred up. And Peter says, how am I going to stir you up? Paul says, how am I going to stir up the men of God? He says, I'm going to stir them up by putting them in remembrance. So there are certain things that you and I ought to remember, and that should be an eternal flame inside of us to serve the true and living God. Now, I remember, remember 1911? Remember where you were when those planes hit those World Trade Centers? Do you remember where you were at and what you were doing? I, I remember uh, after that happened, I was preaching in Wisconsin. I went out and uh, I bought the two of the biggest flags I could find. And I, I, I put them on poles and I duct taped them to my side mirrors of my, of my dually pickup truck, driving down the road, people beeping the horns. You couldn't find a flag anywhere. It was, uh, it was something that brought us as a nation together for a few short weeks. And we said, we will never forget. Remember that? We will never forget. And then along the lines, somewhere down the line, somebody decided that we can't show the video. Or the images of this, of this tragedy in our country because it might invoke violence. So we have generations that have grown up that don't really remember and have never really seen what really happened on that day. So the nation, we said we will never forget, but then we took away the pictures, took away the video, stopped talking about it, and I would submit to you that there's a, a generation already that has forgot what happened on 9 11. Now listen to me. There is a picture that God wants us to have to remember something very important to keep us stirred up as men. What is that picture? Well, when a person accepts Jesus Christ as their Savior, they go into a baptismal water and uh, the pastor gets in there in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, baptizes them. It's a picture of Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. He wants us to remember that that picture of what Jesus Christ did. I don't know how often your, your church has communion or the Lord's table. But the Lord's table is, is a picture of Jesus Christ becoming a man, living a life, a, a sinless life, being willing to give his body and shed his blood to die for us, and we're to do it till he comes back. Jesus Christ loves us, died for us, and rose again, and the Lord's table is a picture of what Jesus Christ has done for us. What does he say? He says there in the First Corinthians chapter number eleven, verse twenty-four: "This is my body, right, which is uh, broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. This cup is the new testament, my blood, shed for many for the remission of sins. Uh, What this drink in remembrance of me? He wants us to remember what he did for us. This morning, as I was praying and just, Lord, what do you have for us this morning? I believe he wants us to remember." What Jesus Christ did on the cross of Calvary. The first song that we sang here this morning talked about the fact uh, uh, of God's great faithfulness. And when I think that me, a great sinner, that Jesus Christ died for me, a sinner, I'm overwhelmed at God's true and great mercy and grace and faithfulness. This morning I believe he wants us to remember the stripes. The stripes in Isaiah chapter 53 verse number 5. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was laid upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Wants us to remember the, the beard that was pulled from his face and plucked out of his cheeks. And Isaiah 50, verse number six, I gave my face to the smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. Wants us to remember the fact that he allowed man to, to spit upon him. Isaiah 50, verse number six, I hid not my face from the shame and the spitting. He wants us to remember that they that they put a crown of thorns upon his head. Uh, a few years ago, when my son Corbin was really really young, he's probably about four years old. We were out in the field, we we're just outside of national forest getting firewood. And when we go up there to get firewood, we carry you know some firearms. So there's there's snakes up there, and uh, I don't like snakes. The only good snake's a dead snake. Somebody please say amen to that. So we said, well, you know, the black snakes are good, but no, all snakes, the only good snake's a dead snake. So we, we're up there, we're fully there's rattlers up there and everything, we're ready to go, and uh, so we're cutting firewood and everything, and I heard my four-year-old boy let out this curdling scream and cry, and the first thing I thought was, snake, right? So I went running down, I run to one over there, and he's he's down holding his leg, and he's crying, I said, I said, son, are you okay? Are you all right? He goes, yeah, I don't know. That bush bit me. And I looked at the bush and there was some thorns. I said, I said, that bush bit you? He goes, Yeah, that bush bit me. I said, Well, those are thorns. And he had big old tears coming down his cheeks. He says, Daddy, why would God ever make thorns? He said, Well, those thorns came after. Those thorns came after man sinned. And Jesus Christ, the creator of all things, was willing to bear those thorns upon his brow. He says, I want you to remember. I want you to remember that they looked upon me, Psalm 22, they looked on me as they pierced me. He wants us to remember that he allowed man to take spikes and put them in his hands and his feet. He says, I want you to remember what you've done, what I've done for you. Listen, I want to tell you this morning, I am so glad that Jesus Christ died for my sins. I am so glad that although I don't deserve it, although I couldn't earn it, I am so thankful that Jesus Christ, that God looked upon me and sent his only begotten son to die for me. Listen, do you know Christ as your savior? Whoa, do you know Christ as your savior? He said, I want you to remember these things because that's what's going to to stir us up. For so long, men have talked about what can we do to engage men in our churches. Maybe we had uh, more secular music. Maybe if we change the lights a little bit. Uh, maybe if we maybe if we did more entertainment than preaching, that would draw men and stir them up. I'm here to tell you, if the love of Jesus Christ, if the gospel of Jesus Christ, if the shed blood of our Savior will not motivate you to get engaged, then nothing will motivate you. He said, I want, I want you to remember what I've done for you, and I want it to stir you up. Now listen, this morning I am so thankful for those three nails. I am so thankful that he allowed, allowed man willingly laid down his life and allowed man to put those nails in his, in his hands and in his feet. I'm so thankful for that. But I want to talk not about those three nails this morning. This morning I want to talk about the fourth nail. I want to talk about the fourth nail because I believe that it's the fourth nail that, that really motivates us and stirs us up to serve Jesus Christ the way he ought to be served. You say, Pastor Sparks, what are you you talking about here, this fourth nail? I believe that when Jesus Christ was on that cross, there were three things on that cross. I believe our Savior was on that cross, nailed to that cross by those three nails. I believe that our sins were on that cross. The Bible says that he took the handwriting of ordinances that was contrary to us, took it out of the way, and nailed it to the cross. But there's a fourth nail there, and I want to show it to you. John chapter number 19, look with me at verse number 19. John 19, verse number 19. And Pilate wrote a title and put it where? On the cross. And the writing was Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. This title, when read, this title then read many of the Jews for the place where Jesus was crucified, was nigh to the city, and it was written in Hebrew and Greek and Latin. There's a fourth nail on that cross, and it is the nail that nailed the placard above Jesus Christ's head. What about this sign? What about this fourth nail? What does it tell us about our Savior? I want you to see that it tells us about our Savior. That It tells us that Jesus Christ was the sinless one. That Jesus Christ was the sinless one. What the Romans would do to, to uh, when they crucified individuals, they would not only nail to the cross, but they would nail a placard above their head to be able to, to tell people the crime, the accusation of what this person did. It was a deterrent. Years ago when I worked for the Department of Corrections, uh, there was about 150 um, guys in our graduating class, and we had the commissioner for the Department of Corrections come to us, and uh, he said, he said, now how many of you uh, men are are for capital punishment? And uh, just about everybody raised their hand. And he said, oh, you guys are kind of hard-nosed. Don't you know it's been proven that capital punishment is not a deterrent? And somebody in the back said, it is for that guy. It is for that guy. It'll never happen again. So you were walking and walking down uh, the road uh, that was occupied by the Romans and you would see a man there being crucified. You say, well, what's that, what's, what's going on here? And you look above his head and see that sign nailed there and said what the crime of that, of that individual was. When we look above the head of Jesus, what do we find nailed there? Go to John chapter number 18, look at verse number uh, 29 with me. John 18, verse number 29. Pilate then went out unto them and said, What accusation bring ye against this man? They answered and said unto him, If he were not a male factor, we would not have delivered him unto you. Pilate says, All right, what am I going to nail above this guy's head? You want me to kill him, but what am I going to nail up there to say what his accusation is? And don't you love their answer? They don't give an answer. They say, "Well, if he wasn't a bad guy, we wouldn't be here, would we?" I remember years ago my mom was uh she was uh pregnant and I was a teenager and um she she was out of her mind. Can I just say that? Is that okay? Uh she she I there was a rough pregnancy apparently, but she was a little bit um crazy. And I remember coming home one day and she started yelling at me. I don't really know why. And she said, you go down to your room when your dad comes home. He's going to give you a, he's going to give you a spanking and you go downstairs right now. So I went downstairs, did not know what I did. My, My dad was up, came home and she said, I want you to go downstairs. I could hear her. I want you to go downstairs and I want you to beat him. And my dad said, okay, what do you do? Just beat him and I'll tell you later. So my dad comes downstairs, he says, "He says, son, what's going on? I said, dad, I don't know. I said, he said, what did you do? I said, I, I don't know. I Honestly, I, I don't know. He said, yeah, your mom's been a little bit uh, fussy lately, has not she? I said, I just, I don't know. He says, all right, well, took his belt off. He said, when I start hitting, you commence the screaming. But I'm like, but, but dad, I did that. He said, when I start hitting, you commence the screaming. But dad, I did. And he took his belt. And he hit the the he hit the 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 the, 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 uh, the bed the mattress the bed and went whap. And I went, oh, <laughs> oh. So I took a little spit, put it in my eyes, wrote it up there, went upstairs, and my mom's like, "See, yeah." I, thank you, thank you. And do you realize a couple of years ago she just found out that that whole thing was just a sham. <laughs> My dad and I are talking. Remember that time we pretended to spank you? And my mom said, "What'd you say? Prepare for a beating." So, if why are we here? Why are we going to kill a man? Well, we'll we'll just we'll just tell you later. He, he obviously did something wrong, or we wouldn't be here right now. And so, when they nailed that uh, fourth nail above Jesus' head, we don't find an accusation because Jesus Christ is the sinless one. The Bible says he was tempted in all points as we are yet without sin. The book of Acts says he went about doing good. The Bible says that he became sin for us who knew no sin. He was a lamb of God without spot and without blemish. I'm saying Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life. And yet willingly, he allowed man to crucify him there. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse number 22, who did no sin. Neither was guile found in his mouth. The Bible's clear he'd never sinned. The Bible says there that Pilate's wife said, have nothing to do with that just man. Judas Iscariot says, I have betrayed innocent blood. Pilate says, I find no fault in him. And yet he was so badly beaten. The Bible says in the book of Isaiah that his visage was more marred than that of any man. So I want you to think about this for a minute. You're in Jerusalem that day, outside of the city, and you see this man badly beaten. His his forehead is bleeding from the the thorns on his brow. He's he's got his hairs hairs pulled out. He's been scourged. The, The flesh of his back has been ripped from his body. He's been beaten. He's been spit upon. And you look and say, well, what did this man do? And you look above his head and you find no accusation. I'm so thankful that Jesus Christ is the sinless one. But as you look, you'd have to say, well, then why is he there? If there's no accusation, listen, the, the man on his right had an accusation nailed above his head. He's a thief. He's a robber. The man who his left had an accusation. The Bible says that these two were malefactors, evildoers. He had an accusation above his head. But although Satan would try to hurl temptation at our Savior, Jesus Christ, the accuser of the brethren had nothing to accuse Jesus of because He was the sinless one. And several years ago, I was, uh, I was working a secular job and, uh, the guy that I was working with, I, um, I was young. I was very young. And the guy that I was working with, uh, He was a member of a cult and the cult that He was a member of, the, the leader of this cult said that He was Jesus and, uh, He would have Like if you were in that cult and you got married, he would have first rights to your wife. I'm talking I'm talking it is just a, a, a wicked thing. Well, we're sitting there working, and uh he said, You want to know a difference difference between your Jesus and my Jesus? That's what he said. He said, You want to know the difference between your Jesus and my Jesus? I said, uh, yeah, what do you think the difference is? He said, The difference is my Jesus never sinned, and your Jesus always sinned. I said, What'd you say? He said, I, "I said, I said, stop! Don't say it again. I did hear you. I said, if you say it again, the next time you say it, it will be with less teeth." That was before, a pastor's not to be a brawler or a striker. That was before I was a pastor. I got so I got so upset because we know that Jesus Christ never sinned. So you go, well, then why did he, why did he die? As you look above his head and see that fourth nail, you say, well, then why is he there? Jesus was not dying on the cross for his own sin. He was the sinless one. We see from that sign that he's also the sacrificial one. He wasn't dying for his sin. He was dying for your sin. He wasn't dying for his sin. He was dying for my sin. He wasn't dying for his sin. He was dying for the sins of the world. As you look at that sign, as you look above it, uh, the Bible says in verse number 20 of chapter number 19, the title that read, uh, the title then read many of the Jews for the place where Jesus was crucified was nigh to the city and it was written in Hebrew and Greek and Latin. Jesus was on the cross of Calvary being the sacrificial one dying for the sins of the entire world. I am not saying to the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God and the salvation, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Jesus was dying for the sins of the world. It's an amazing thing. Amazing thing that Jesus Christ didn't just die for a select group of people. He's a ransom for all. Who would have all men to be saved and come into the knowledge of the truth? The Lord is not slack concerning his, his, his promises. Some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. For the Hebrews, the Romans, those that were Hellenized and believed false religion, Jesus Christ was willing to die on the cross of Calvary for the sins of the world. Remember back in Genesis chapter 11, remember the Tower of Babel, and they're sitting there, God says, Replenish the earth, go, go out, spread out, and multiply. And man said, "No, we're going to stay together." And they began to build a tower up to heaven to make a name for themselves. And God, the Bible says, came down and He confounded their languages. So you're sitting here working, and you know you're, you're disobeying God, and you and uh, you say, "Hey, hand me hand me that hammer." And the guy says, "Donde está usted?" What? What are you? This is America? No, it's not. This is the Tower of Babel. <laughs> English. I don't know what they said, but now there's this, we're confounded. We don't, we don't understand. And, and so because they couldn't, through that confounding of the languages, God, God spread them throughout the world. I believe with all my heart in Acts chapter number 2, we see God overthrowing the curse of the Tower of Babel. In Acts chapter number two, the Bible says that Peter got up to speak and that there were Jews of every nation that were there. Devout men. And every Jew of every nation was there. And the Bible says that every man heard Peter preach the gospel in their own languages and they were confounded. God says, I want everyone to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus, the sinless one, is the sacrificial one dying for the sins of the world. And I'm here to tell you, we need men that are engaged with giving up the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm so thankful for the man that sat on a, on a stoop one day and took me as a, a, as a young man and opened up the scriptures and led me to Christ. I, I don't know who that man is, but I'm here to tell you, I'm thankful that there was a man that gave me the gospel. If you know Christ is your Savior, somebody engaged you with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're so worried about our politics, we're so worried about Democrat or Republican. When well, I'm here to tell you that we need to give out the gospel. The gospel the answer to our country, revival's the answer to our country. Say we need some men out on Saturday, we're going on visitation. And 30 women will show up and very few men will show up. Talk about being engaged. He's the sacrificial one and I am so thankful that he died. And can I just say this that he he died He died for the sins of the world. But let's make it specific. He died for you. He became sin for us who knew no sin. That we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. He died for you and He died for me willingly. In John chapter number 10, He says, I lay down my life. No man taketh it from me. He willingly died for your sins and mine. I love 2 Corinthians chapter number 5, verse 14. For the love of Christ constraineth us because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. He died for you and He died for me because we were dead. And they died for all the day which live shall so not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto Him which died for them and rose again. You know what should constrain you to be engaged? You know what should constrain you to stand? You know what should constrain you to be faithful? It is, it is the love of Jesus Christ. The love of Jesus Christ. Several years ago I had the privilege to go to, to Israel. And uh if you've never gone, you should go and while we were there um had some things happen. I almost caused a national incident there on the road to Villa de la Rosa long story, but um suffice it to say there there were some men there that were making fun of of my country and my savior and um I called their bluff. He said, as Americans, they said, don't, don't make eye contact. Look down. No matter what they say, just look down. Don't say anything. Well, they, about six or seven of them, started cursing my country and then said, my blankety blank Savior. I wasn't a pastor then either. <laughs> I was an evangelist. <laughs> <laughs> and I threw down my book bag. I stepped in the biggest one's face. I said, you know what? I said, well, I, I said, you need to stop. Please refrain yourself before I refrain you. Before I know it, there are 200 Israeli soldiers running down there and put me, took me aside, whisked those guys away. They said, "Are you okay?" I said, "Yeah, I'm fine." Because I, I, why well, I was ha- do you ever watch yourself do something really stupid? I'm in the Middle East. There's six of them, one of me, and I'm like, I don't care. I'm not dying by myself. Ken Sparks International, you know, war. I don't know what it was going to happen, but I just it was a it was a bad day all the way around. Well, that was the day we were supposed to go see Calvary. That's the day we were supposed to see Golgotha. So I'm already, I'm already, I'm already an emotional mess. And so we get there and I sit down and I look and there, there's why, I I believe that's Calvary. I I carry a picture of it in my, in my Bible. I, I, I'm overwhelmed. And as a grown man, I started weeping uncontrollably. The, uh, I don't know how long I was there. But uh, the, the tour guide came, came over and said, uh, uh, Brother Sparks, we, we have to go now. We have to go now. Our time is up. I said, I'm not leaving. I said, through tears rolling down my eyes, I said, that's where my Savior died for me. I said, I, I grew up, you know, men don't cry. So my dad taught me, men don't cry. And uh, I said, well, the Bible says Jesus wept. Well, that was a different dispensation, son. It's just not even... We have guys, well I'm not emotional. If you can't control your anger, then you are emotional. I'm sitting there looking at Calvary, Golgotha, and it looks like a skull, and I'm overwhelmed with God's mercy and God's grace that was bestowed upon me at the cross of Calvary. Do you remember when you got saved? Some of you have been saved for 20, 30 years and your love for him has waxed cold. I love when somebody first gets saved. I, I, I love it because they don't, they don't know what they're supposed to do. We know what we're supposed to do, right? We know how we're supposed to look. We know how we're supposed to pray, how we're supposed to act. They have no idea. I love seeing a new, a new believer just get saved and find John 3, 16 for the first time. Pastor, have you seen this verse? For God to love the world, have you read this verse, Pastor? And then somebody sits next and been saved thirty years. Oh, he's just learning that verse. Problem is that person got over it. I love hearing that new that new believer pray. I love the, I love hearing them, they don't know the the doctrines of prayer. They just talk to God. Yeah, hey, uh, dear Lord, uh, this guy was uh, in a drug addiction ministry. Led him to Christ. Uh, about two days later, I'm I'm praying with him. Oh God, yeah, this is this is Bob. Bob Smith, I'm the one that lives on Pine Street. I'm like, don't you know God is omnipotent? Lord, if, I know you're really busy holding everything together and everything, and I don't know if you're going to hear this prayer right away, but if you get to this prayer, I'm like, do you think God has some catalog? Like, oh, I'll get to it eventually? I'm like, God knows where you are. God God, 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 God can hear you. God is omnipotent. God is omniscient. Don't, Don't you know who this God is? This man got a hold of God and was excited about the fact he could talk to God. And we've been saved so long, we've gotten over His grace, we've gotten over His mercy, we're just so cleaned up, we know everything we're supposed to do, everything we're supposed to say, but we're dry as dust. We're apathetic, we're disengaged. I'm telling you that Jesus Christ dying as the sinless one and dying for your sins and mine ought to make us stand. The fact that Jesus Christ died for your sins and mine ought to engage us. Fully engage in our families, in our home, in our prayer life, and giving up the gospel. And if the love of Christ doesn't constrain you, nothing ever will. Lastly, as we look at this fourth male, and most importantly according to this text, we see that he is the the sinless one and he is the sacrificial one dying for your sins and mine, not his own. But lastly, we see that He is the Sovereign One. If you look with me here at John chapter number 19 and verse number 20, verse number, um, well, let's look at verse number uh, 19. And Pilate wrote a title and put it on the, on the cross. And the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the what? The King of the Jews. He did not put a, an accusation over the cross. He nailed a title. Over the cross. King is where we get the word sovereign from. He is the, the sovereign one. And as we read this text, we find out it's all about the fact Jesus Christ, is he your king or is he not your king? Look at this, chapter number 19, verse number 3. And said, Hail, king of the Jews. Uh, verse number 12. And from thenceforth Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, saying, If thou let this man go, thou art not Caesar's friend, whosoever maketh himself a what? King speaketh against Caesar. Look at verse 14. And it was about, it was the preparation of the Passover and about the sixth hour. And he saith unto the Jews, Behold your king. From the time that Jesus was born until the time that Jesus dies, the question is, is he or is he not your king? Keep your finger there in John. Go back to Matthew if you would. You're doing well. We're almost done. Matthew chapter number one. Keep your finger in John 19, go to Matthew chapter number, well, Matthew chapter number 2. Matthew chapter number 2, look with me at verse number 1. Matthew chapter 2 and verse number 1. Say amen if you're there. Verse 1, now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, where is he that is born, what? King of the Jews. We have come. uh, We have seen a star in the east and are come to worship him. Where Where is this one that's born king? Well, you know as well as I do that Pharaoh or that uh, that Pilate didn't like that. Now, the king Herod didn't like that, and Herod's a little upset at that. Chapter number two, look at verse number seven. Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. He sent unto Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. When ye have found him, bring me word again that I may kill uh, 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 come and worship him also. Verse number 11. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. These wise men said, you know what? We're looking for a king. And when we find the true king, we're going to bow down. We're going to submit we're going to sacrifice, and we're going to worship this king. So from the time that he's born until the time that they kill him, the question is, will you submit to his sovereignty? Will you allow him to be the king, the sovereign, the Lord of your life? I find so many people are so thankful for those three nails. They're so thankful that Jesus Christ died. Thank you that he's the sinless one. Thank you that he's the sacrificial one. But when you talk about him being the sovereign one, when you talk about him being the one that dictates the way you use your mouth, the way you spend your money, what you wear, what you live for, all of a sudden men start backing up and go, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Jesus put it this way. And why call you me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? You're calling me an authority, but you're not allowing me to have authority in your life. These, uh, these soldiers took Jesus in John chapter number 11, said, oh, he's a king, and they mocked him for his authority. Oh, every king needs a crown, and they crush a crown of thorns on his head. Oh, oh, every king needs a, needs a robe, and they took that false robe and put it on his, his scourged back. Every king needs a scepter, oh, here's a stick, here's a reed, and they took it and hid it with him and gave it back to him. Every king needs to be bowed down to, oh, hail Jesus, king of the Jews. And I'm here to tell you that that same Jesus is going to come in like manner. When he comes, it's not going to be a crown of thorns. It's going to be with many crowns. It's not going to be a, a false robe. It's going to be a vesture dipped in blood. It's not going to be a reed. It's going to be a rod of iron. It's not going to be the king of the Jews. He's coming back as the king of kings and as the lord of lords. So the question is, is he your lord? Is he your king? Is he your sovereign? One of my favorite stories is when I was... uh a few years ago, I was wearing a t-shirt, and I'm a pretty good sized billboard, and uh, I had an argument with my wife the other day. I said, I'm, I said, I'm in shape. She looked at me really funny. I said, I said, round is a shape? So I'm wearing this t-shirt, and the t-shirt says, Jesus is Lord on it. And she, and, and uh, she sent me to the convenience store in the bad section of town, and um so I went there to get some milk, and I walk in the, the convenience store, and there's a guy behind Bulletproof Glass. I don't know what kind of store I'm talking about. Bulletproof Glass, you, you, they have a little drawer. You put your money in the drawer. They pull the money in. It's a bad section of town. And so I walk in there, and uh, he's behind his Bulletproof Glass, and he's got a towel wrapped around his head. The hair is probably wet. And um, so I'm, I'm, I'm in there. And I saw, as soon as I walked in there, he's looking at my shirt. that says, Jesus is Lord. And he's looking straight at it. And so I thought, okay, I'm a pretty good sized billboard, so I got the milk and got, got the bread. And then I walked up to the bulletproof class. And he's not looking at me, he's looking straight at my shirt. So I said, well, I, I guess I'll, I'll help him. I said, I said, Jesus is Lord. No! Jesus is no Lord! Oh, now how am I going to deal with this? Because right at that point I was a pastor. I said, Jesus is, no, Jesus is no Lord. I said, all right, buddy, all right, all right. Good thing you're behind that book. All right, buddy, who do you say Jesus is? He says Jesus was a messenger. I said, you're right, he was a messenger. And his message is, Jesus is Lord. (laughs) He said, no, 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 I will never say that Jesus is Lord. I said, oh, now you've gone and done it. The Bible says, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father, I'll be bowed down, so will you. But I'm looking for a guy with a towel wrapped around his head. I told you so! Get back down real quick. I will never say. And most of us, if you're here on a Saturday at a men's conference, and you knew there's going to be gospel singing, and you knew there's going to be preaching, there's probably not a man in this room that would say, I would never say that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is not Lord. I would never refuse to call him Lord. But why call you him Lord, Lord, and do not the things that he says? We'd never be so rebellious as to say, no, he's not the God over me. But we live like he's not the God over us. My heart is so overwhelmed when we talk about men that need to stand. Men that need to be engaged. You look around and evil's prevailing because good men are doing nothing. I can't tell you, I'm not, I'm not sure how this church is. I think we have a really good church, and the Lord is blessing us, but I could use a lot more men that are engaged, not just spectators. I could use a whole lot more men in our church and say, you know what, we're going we're to stand for the gospel, we're going to stand for biblical truth, we're going to stand for our families, we're going to stand for the principles of the word of God. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord which is not just some decoration that our wife hung on the wall. It ought to be a declaration that every man in this room has made for their family. Several years ago, I was preaching in Canada, and I'm in Canada, preaching the church, and I come out, and uh, out in the foyer, I was never really, how many of you were never really good at history? Um, I like history. I like it now, but I didn't like it back at school. <laughs> I like history now, but so I didn't quite, not quite where I need to be. So I, I'm in I'm this foyer, and in the foyer in Canada, there's a lady, and she's got a white dress on and white gloves. Her hands are like this, and she's got a little tiara on her head. And I was like, uh, I know who that lady is. I said, Isn't that the Queen of England? And like, uh, yes, that's the Queen of England, but she's also the King of all of Canada. I said, Oh, really? I I did not know that. Queen Elizabeth was the Queen of Canada. How many of you did not know that? <laughs> I knew that the second you said it. I said, she's the Queen of Canada? Yeah, she's the, oh, she's the Queen of Canada. You have a picture of her on the wall and, uh, and your church. Yeah, she's the Queen of Canada. I said, well, I said, so she can she makes laws for Canada? Oh no. No, she can't make laws over Canada. She got no jurisdiction over here. I said, Well, she she controls your your giant navy. She's commander in chief of your Canadian army. No, she has no standing with the army. Well, she has the power of taxation. No, she can't touch our money. Then why is she the Queen of Canada? And the pastor looked at me and said, well, it's kind of, it's just, we just, we just kind of like the idea of it. And I don't like the way one. that is the most foolish thing i ever heard. But as I began to think about it, that's exactly what we've done with Jesus Christ. He's got no authority over, he's got no, no authority over giving me commands. He's got no, he's got no authority over my money. He has no control over over what I think is no control about what I do on on Sunday evenings. He he has no he has no authority really. I like the idea that he's, he's our Lord and he's the true King and I like the idea that he's my Savior. I like the idea that he's the sacrificial sinless one. I like those things. But you are unwilling to bow your knee and bow your will to Jesus. Man, I believe that we cannot be the men that God's called us to be and we cannot stand for what we need to stand for if at first we will not bow. I'm not sure if you're like me, but I like old Western movies. Is that, is that, can I say that behind this pulpit? Is that what I'm going to say? Old Western, G-rated, uh, old Westerns? How many you like old Westerns? Oh, okay, there you go. Alright, good. I thought I was in the wrong crowd here for a minute. I mean I like the I like the waha. Like like I like the gun totin', spur jingling, right? Horse riding, six shooting. We still okay? And there's one I saw it I don't even know where I saw it, I don't even know how I saw it. But you know, this gunslinger, he's the he's the one, he was the, the best gunslinger, and now he's getting old. So the young gunslingers are trying to get his reputation by taking him out. That's about ninety percent of every Western movie, right? You get a name. And this guy was old timer and and uh he looked at one guy and uh he was working for another guy and and guy's yelling at him and, and he's down on his knees and you know saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry and the gunslinger says, Get up off of your knees. He said, A man on his knees is only half a man. And he said that the man on his knees is only half a man that's right, a man on his knees only half a man. I just, something, something inside, yeah, that's right. But I thought, I need less of me. We can't be what God's called us to be. We can't stand for what we're supposed to stand for. So I'm talking to a group of men. Some of you here this morning don't know Christ as your Savior, and if you were to die today, you'd spend eternity in a lake of fire. Can I tell you that today is the day of salvation? Amen. Now we can show you from the Bible how you can make sure you're going to heaven when you die. that from a child that has known the Holy Scriptures, which is able to make thee wise unto salvation, you can learn about how to go to heaven and be wise to salvation by this book. These things have I written that you may know that you have eternal life. You can know by what's written. Let someone show you. How can I know that someone guide me? Let us guide you. Let's show you from the scripture. You need to be saved today. And then there's those of us that are saved. We've saved, maybe saved for years. And we're so thankful for those three nails. We're so thankful that he's the sinless one. We're so thankful that he's the sacrificial one. When it comes to the fact that he's the sovereign one, maybe some of you honestly, maybe all of us honestly, need to have an invitation right now and come to the old fashioned altar and literally bow before our God. And say, Lord, thank you for those three nails. Thank you for being my Savior. And today I freshen anew. So I can stand and be engaged for you, I want to kneel and be submissive to you. I want to be a man of God. I want to be a man that yields to your will. I want to be a man that when I die, I hear, well done, thou good and faithful servants. Those three nails crucified our Savior. That fourth nail crucifies us. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ that liveth in me. Let's, let's pray. Would you stand on your feet with every head bowed, every eye closed? The invitation is crystal clear. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, would you be willing to come forward right now and have us show you from the Word of God how you can be saved? If you recognize the fact that you are not fully yielded and submitted to the will of God and to the Word of God, if you found yourself lately being apathetic and disengaged, in your church, in your family, in your service to your God, would you have enough honesty and enough concern about what God thinks instead of what man thinks to come to an old-fashioned altar as a man and bow your knee and say, Lord, thank you for saving me. helping to submit to your will. And as we give this invitation, I'm, I'm reminded of, lest I forget, lead me to Calvary. King of my life, I crown thee now. Thine shall thy glory be, lest I forget thy thorn-crowned brow. Lead me to Calvary. I'm going to pray, and I'm going to invite you to come and we'll all that fashioned altar. Father God, I pray, Lord, that you would use the word. Lord, I pray that this morning the love of Jesus Christ and nothing else would constrain us to serve you, to stand for you, to submit to your will as men. Lord, we are grieved with what's going on in, in homes, in our nation, in the world. Father, I believe the answer is godly men that have submitted to your will. We cannot stand unless we first bow. For so I humbly ask that you would use this invitation in the heart of every man here. We pray these things in Jesus' name. If you had bowed, everybody close the piano plays. I want to invite you to come. Lord, we thank you for the message that we just heard. God, may you just plant it into our hearts and into our minds. God, help it not to be something that we've just let go in one ear, not the other. God, may it change us where we each need to change. Thank you for your messenger this morning, Lord. Thank you for Jesus, our Lord, our sovereign Lord and King. May it be true in my home and in our churches and our nation. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.